forgot to record this. Whoever listens to the podcast, they will jump in about a few minutes late. But what I want to do is open up to Psalm 23. And I know most of us who've been in church are really familiar with this psalm. Um, but there's something really important that, that David says here that, that I truly feel like it, it's so significant that it really needs to become the, one of the cornerstones of our faith. And I'm going to read from the beginning, Psalm 23. He says, The Lord is my shepherd, I shall not be in want. He makes me lie down in green pastures. He leads me beside quiet waters. He restores my soul. He restores my soul. I love that because right there the Lord's letting us know, Hey, you don't have to fix yourself. I want to restore you. I want to replace, renew, revive you. And our soul, if you were here last week, I talked about how we're three-part beings. We're physical, we're mental, which is our will, our emotions, our soul, and we're spiritual, which is where the Holy Spirit comes in when we begin to feed our spirit man. And when the Holy Spirit comes in, the Holy Spirit begins to nurture our souls. See, our souls need to be nurtured. They don't need to be ignored. They don't need to be shut down. They don't need to be numbed out. Our souls need to be nurtured, but we get afraid of how messy it can sometimes feel. And you know, God's heart for us, y'all, is not about perfection. God's heart is for us to have wholeness. Wholeness in our spirit, wholeness in our soul, wholeness in our body. You know, our souls are those those parts of us that um, get compromised in life. The parts of us that we've sort of given away pieces of ourselves without ever really knowing that we did that. Those parts of us that we kind of just sort of long forget and don't really want to go there. But God's really not looking at what we did wrong or what others did wrong. God says, I want to heal you there. I I want to touch you there. I want to nurture your soul. Your soul is beautiful to me. This is, this is the beauty of salvation. Salvation is really two parts. We, we understand our souls get saved and that qualifies us because of what Christ did to enter heaven. And we're all like, yes, our soul's saved. You know what? I'm going to be in heaven. It's going to be great. While I'm here, I just got to deal with stuff. I just got to make things happen. You know, this is just the way that it is. But there's another part to salvation. And that other part is the restoration of our soul. He saves our souls so that we can go to heaven, which Jesus did for us on the cross. And then he says, I want to restore your soul. And that's how we bring heaven to earth. When we say on earth as it is in heaven, y'all, in order for us to bring heaven to earth, we need to let God restore our souls. We talk about revival. We talk about Jesus. He wants you to come. We need to realize that part of our process is allowing him to work our, our salvation, which is the restoration of our soul. Come on. Our souls not restored. If we live with our souls not restored, what happens is we unknowingly reject the Holy Spirit because of the wounds that we still carry. The Holy Spirit can only move in pieces and parts versus a wholeness because of the wounds that we're still carrying. You know, we're called to steward our emotions. We are not called to fix ourselves. He restores us, not us. It's kind of like um, 
when our souls aren't restored, I was trying to think of, of, of an example of what that's like. It's sort of like, um, and it, my first thought was a record player where the record skips. And I thought, well, maybe some people don't really remember that. So let me go to the radio. It's kind of like tuning into a radio station, but there's constant static. You know, it's not very clear. There's, there's parts of you that feel restored. There's parts of you that, that feel whole, but, but there's still a lot of static. And how many of you know that, that our minds, um, there can be a lot of static at a lot of different times in our life. Even throughout the day, if we even started to kind of stop and, and pay attention, we might be surprised at the amount of, of static that we experience. And God really wants us to experience such a wholeness and such a peace. He wants us to experience peace in such a way that when we're not feeling peaceful, we go, wait a minute, what is that? Wait a minute, Jesus, what's going on? That we're willing to sort of pause and allow him to investigate with us. This is not the same thing as introspection. Self-help teaches introspection, but introspection actually kills revelation. And revelation comes from the Lord. Introspection is sort of us digging around trying to fix ourselves. And God does not. He clearly says, I am going to restore your soul. I'm going to do that. In Matthew, if y'all want to turn to Matthew 22, 37, I want to read what Jesus says about, um, about loving the Lord. Matthew twenty-two thirty-seven, 37, he says, Love the Lord your God with all your heart, and with all your soul, and with all of your mind. We, can't, we are incapable of doing that if we don't allow him to restore our souls. Good. And see, this is, this is the, the most important word I want you to hear, which is allow. There is an allowance on our part that has to happen in order for us to reach out to him to say, Yes, Lord, I want you to restore my soul. So in order for us to fully love him, we have to allow him to come in and restore us. It is a choice. It's, it's not a have to. It's definitely a choice. But, you know, our culture is not very good about um, promoting that. Our culture has more uh, words of condemnation and you need to fix yourself. You need another self-help book. You need to uh, just deal with it. You know, I was thinking the other day, yesterday when I was working on this, I'm like, what does that mean anyway? Just, just deal with it. And I'm not saying I've never said that to my kids. Like, hey, you know, just deal with it, you know. But I started to really stop and think, what is, what is that really saying? When someone's like, you know, just deal with it. What it's really saying is, look, I'm uncomfortable with the emotions that you're having, so you go fix yourself, and then we can be in relationship again. <laughs> go deal with it. That's what it means. There's no love. There's no mercy. There's no grace there. It is, it's, it's kind of a condemning statement, which is, I don't want to deal with your stuff. So deal with it. And there's not really much, much solution there. There's not really much help there. And you know what, y'all? As we all know at, in this stage in our lives, that life is an unfolding. And in that unfolding comes difficulties, comes sickness, comes broken dreams, comes sadness, disappointments. That is the unfolding of life. Being a Christian does not mean that nothing bad is ever going to happen to us. You know, we live in a fallen world, and, and things unfold. And many of those things that unfold, unfortunately, are extraordinarily unpleasant and sad and tragic. I mean, just like 
as a nation going through the different <coughs> hurricanes and watching what was happening to certain people in certain areas. And I love what Jesus says about the disappointments and the tragedies and the sadness. And he says it in Matthew 11, 11, 28. He says, Come to me, all you who are weary and burdened, and I will give you rest. Take my yoke upon you and learn from me, for I am gentle and humble in heart, and you will find rest for your souls. For my yoke is easy and my burden is light. What if it said something like this? You know, come to me, all of you who are exhausted. Come to me, all of you who are worn out from carrying this pain by yourself. Come to me, all of you who don't really know what you're dealing with and you feel like you have to stay hidden. Come to me because I'm going to ease you. I'm going to revive you. I'm going to restore you. And here's the key. It's our willingness to go to him. He doesn't say, I'm going to impose myself upon you when I think you're getting sad. He says, come. You know, it's an invitation to come to him. It's our willingness and it's our allowance. We're not having to fix ourselves. We're allowing him into those places where we feel like things are not peaceful. Our biggest barrier to allowing God to to start the process of restoration is asking for his help, seeking him. Why? Because for some reason we have this mentality in our culture that we're not supposed to need help. You know, that um, we're not supposed to appear compromised. We're not supposed to look like we're weak. And asking for help looks like we're weak. Especially, you know, in in, in our our society, especially I think even as women, you know, we, we... We don't ever want to appear less than, and we think uh, asking for help makes us appear less than. Or maybe it's something like we're afraid he's not going to answer us. Or maybe we are um, afraid that we can't hear him. Or maybe we think, you know, he's too busy and doesn't want to be bothered with the little things. And all of that is a lie. Because Jesus clearly says in Matthew 11, he says, come to me, or maybe it's Matthew 12. Sorry, I think I gave you all the wrong, wrong thing. Matthew 12, 28. Come to me, all who are weary and burdened. I've never met anyone who is, burdened, who is not burdened by some form of sadness, disappointment, broken dream, a relationship, whatever it is. We are all in some form just burdened by stuff. And he's like, come to me. I want to restore you. It doesn't mean always that our circumstances are going to change, but it means that he is going to be committed to restoring us. What's interesting is that it's not what we think that defines or directs us, but it's what we feel and what we believe. It's not what we think that defines us or even directs us or even directs our decisions. It's what we feel and what we believe. And if we are so disconnected that we don't understand what we're feeling and what we're believing, we will never understand why we react to certain situations the way that we do. We will never understand what motivates us to make certain decisions. You know, it's kind of like um, 
when you're dealing with someone maybe that's, that's picking up a bad habit and you're like, well, why are you doing that? Or maybe it's a child hitting another child on the head. You know, why are you doing that? Well, they don't know why because they don't really understand what they're feeling and they're believing. And, you know, you think you're like, hey, we don't do that. You're going to give them a rule. They're going to change their behavior. I doubt it because what's really directing them is what they're feeling and what they're believing. This is why the process of saying what's going on in here is so important and it's even so much more important as we're adults we think by this point we're supposed to kind of be even keel have it all figured out that that's just not the way life goes things happen and, and it sort of throws us off course unless we turn to him and say all right jesus what are you saying about this because what i'm feeling is really feeling messy and i don't want to feel this way proverbs 4:23 says above all else guard your heart for Everything you do flows from it. Above all else, guard your heart for everything you do flows from it. Our heart is, our, our soul is tied up with our heart. And I love the way the Passion Translation says it. So above all, guard the affections of your heart for they affect all that you are. Pay attention to the welfare of your innermost being for from there flows the wellspring of life. Whatever we have or haven't, allowed the Lord to touch is going to eventually overflow inside of us. No matter, um, you know, I remember this, it's, it, this still really shocks me. Um, we did not, and many of you probably have this growing up, you know, it, it just wasn't in my parents' vocabulary to talk about emotion. So I lived my entire life up until I was 23 having no idea what I was feeling on the inside. It didn't mean I didn't feel maybe joy or sadness, but never stopping to go, what is that? I had no idea, had no emotional vocabulary. You know how they talk about emotional intelligence? I had none. So then, right before my 23rd birthday, my father committed suicide. And I remember going to a counselor for the first time ever. We didn't go to counselors. You didn't do that. But we did at this point because I thought, you know, we need, we need help. My mom's like, we need, to, we need to go process this. I remember her saying, you know, Ashley, what, what are you needing? And I'm like, she's like, what are you feeling? And I couldn't answer her. I was like, I, I don't know. Because I had no emotional vocabulary. I had no understanding that it was okay to stop and pause and say, wow, what's going on in here? I live so shut down. I love how nowadays they have the little emojis in your phone because it's like, oh, that. I mean, I think it really, in a way, helps kids understand, like, there's the wink or there's the, the red anger face, you know. Um, but I'm like, I think that really helps kids or even adults go, oh, that's what I'm feeling. Because our culture really, if you go to school, they're not going to teach you an emotional vocabulary. It's all about academics. It's all about the grades. It's all about performance. No one's helping you along saying, well, how, how's, your, how's the inside? How are you doing in here? How are you maturing? See, it is our job to mature with the Lord. Going to heaven, yes, that's going to happen. You believe in Jesus, you've accepted him. But now the process of allowing God to restore us is our, our partnership with him. That's why relationship with him is so important. Because he doesn't want you to look at it as like, well, it's one more thing i got to do. It's, it's, a, it's a continual walk with him. A cont which means we will not stop that process until we get to the other side. Which means that you, you know, wanting to have like a beginning and an end because we're so linear in our thinking. It's like, okay, well, here's my goal. I want to get it done. I want to be restored. I'm done. 
That's not, it's not going to be that simple because things are going to happen in life whether we're in control or not. And so it is a continual process of being in a relationship with him. It really begins, too, y'all, by understanding that our emotions are pointing to something. One of the things that um, I, I, in our house, we, we don't really, I've kind of said you can't say this, is the word I'm fine. Fine is, is an adjective for maybe a physical condition, but it is not an adjective for how you're feeling. So to give you an example, I remember uh, the other night my, my son uh, was talking to me about something that um, had, I could tell had upset him. And I was like, well, how are you? And he's like, I'm fine. I'm good. I'm like, okay, wait a minute. I was like, are you, could I ask you a couple of questions? He's like, all right. I said, well, are you maybe a little sad? He's like, yeah. I was like, do you feel like it maybe stung a little bit? And he's like, yeah. But maybe you're feeling like it's not going to cripple you, but you'll be able to walk out of it. And he said, yeah, that's probably more right. Because you see, I'm fine, just says, shut it down, shut it down, shut it down, shut it down. And then it's just going to lay there, and it's just going to percolate at some point down the road, you know. But if I stop and say, even, even I find myself, like something I remember this summer had happened that was, was really, uh, really unfortunate, and my kids were there and kind of in the middle of it, and and I remember my young, he said, Mom, you know, are you okay? And I was like, I'm fine. And I went, wait a minute. I said, I'm in shock. I am in shock, but I know that the Lord will not leave me here forever. And so right now, all I can tell you is that I'm in shock, and I think I'm very sad about this. That was such a healthier way to respond to him, because our kids need to see us processing our emotions. I didn't grow up with that. So everything was, I'm fine, I'm fine, I'm fine. My dad committed suicide, I'm fine. I'm fine, I'm not fine. I'm a wreck. And, and, and being able to say, I, I'm a wreck, I'm not okay. There, there's so much healing that just starts being heard. You know, they say that healing begins when someone feels heard. When someone feels heard in community. So just being able to voice that is, is so powerful. We become powerless when we shove it down and we think I'm fine. And then we, what happens, what we don't realize is that um, we, really, we really shut out the Lord. And, and we start to compartmentalize God to, well, I'm, I've gone to church, I say my prayers, I look like a good Christian, I did this Beth Moore Bible study, you know, I'm look, I look like I've, I fit the part. But on the inside, I'm still feeling like there's just whirlwinds that I have to continually sort of shut down and suppress so that I don't damage myself or damage anyone else. Y'all, that is exhausting. Go to him. All who are weary and burdened, and he will give you rest. He will revive your soul. He will refresh your soul. I am a living example of that. I, I would say that this is probably one of my favorite messages because I think it is so needed in the church today. You know, we always just stop at that first part of salvation. And no one in the church really goes to, hey, there's this whole journey of restoration that you're going to be taking with him, and let's walk this out together. And I really feel like that's, that's what we do here. That's why at the end we have prayer, because I don't know what's going on. And you don't always have to tell the person that's up here getting ready to pray with you what's going on. You can just say, I need prayer, and let them pray and see what the Lord says. Sometimes that's the most powerful thing. Because then you realize, wow, God really does see me and hear me, which he really does. I remember um, a couple of months ago, 
it hadn't even been a year, but a neighbor of mine, an older uh, neighbor, she tragically lost her husband, and I just happened to be, well, my kids happened to be walking by, and they called me, and I just went in with the police and, and grabbed her and held her, and this was maybe three or four months after uh, the tragedy had occurred, and I was sitting with her, and she said, Ashley, she said, how long do people put up with your grief? And I thought, wow, what a sad question that she felt like there was just this time limit on how long she could grieve. And I said, you know, as long as it takes, I said, but it also depends on your community. And so I said, you know, uh, I always think of friends in, in, in different ways. I said, it's, it's like, you know, some friends you can splash around in the shallow end with, and that's about it. And some friends you can go a little deeper. And I said, the friends that you can swim in the deep end with, they'll be there for you as long as it takes. But I thought, isn't that such an unbelievable example, a very, I should say, believable example of the cultural message that we get that there's just, you know, hey, you're going to be in pain for this long. After three months, then you need to start doing this. Then you need to start looking this way. Then you need to let this go. It's all so individual. In fact, we were even talking about, you know, how there's that five stages to grief. And I'm like, you know, I think someone just wrote that because people want to have a process. And it made him feel better, but I'm like, my God, you can feel all those at one time. I was like, I don't even, I mean, I was angry, feeling guilty. I don't even, I mean, grief was just messy. And I thought, you know, I'll be here for however long it takes. And it may take a lifetime. I know I lived with grief for 15 years. It's just not something that you just wake up and get over, y'all. I mean, you get through it with, with Jesus. Things like, you know, get over it, deal with it. That's, that's a cultural lie. Jesus says, come to me. Let's walk through this together. I want to restore you. I want to refresh you. Those places that have just felt dead, I want to bring life into that place for you. You know, and it's not about, I love what August was saying earlier, it's restoration is not about, you know, slapping paint on a broken vessel. That's not what God does, y'all. He, he's rebuilding. He's reconstructing. He's, he's making beautiful for what He's making beautiful what has broken us for years. That's what restoration is. Making beautiful what has broken us for years. That's restoration. You know, Genesis 50, Joseph is, is telling his brothers, and I'm going to paraphrase it. He says, you know, what, what was intended to harm you, that God intends for your good. What was intended to harm you, God intends to use for good. And I, I have held on to that for a very long time. Even when things uh, seem challenging, relationships in particular. I remember, you know what, Lord? You're going to use this for your good. I don't know how. But that's where I start with my faith. I don't start with, oh my gosh, poor me, this is so hard. I might say I'm sad, I'm mad, I'm angry, I'm irritated, I'm frustrated. But Lord, I know you're going to use this for your good. Let's walk this out together. You know, restoration leads to transformation, which means we have to willingly seek him. We either willingly seek him or we choose to be shut down and stuck. And everyone is afraid of getting stuck. But what they don't realize that being stuck means you're shutting down and you're refusing his help. And it makes our hearts hard versus our hearts whole. And we think that... Um, 
we really don't understand that we're, we're knowingly refusing his help when we decide to shut down, when we decide to numb out, when we decide to self-protect. He is our protector. He is our comforter. When we do all those things that I talked about in the beginning, when, when things first happen, what happens is we unknowingly are refusing his help. And this is the beauty of Jesus, is that he was in the business of emotional miracles just as much as he was in physical miracles. In fact, he was constantly challenging people on what they were feeling and what they were believing. You know, I think about the woman that was getting ready to be, the adulteress that was getting ready to be stoned and was brought in front of all of these men. And the emotional miracle that must have taken place in her, we don't really know the rest of her story other than Jesus, you know, basically... uh, was able to bring his truth into the situation so that those that were getting ready to condemn her walked away. But I think about the emotional miracle that must have happened in her that day that all of a sudden someone saw her value. All of a sudden someone saw her brokenness and didn't turn away. All of a sudden she was beautiful when she felt like she was just being used for sex. What an emotional miracle And I will tell you, I think in our society, we are in desperate need of emotional miracles. You know, we we, kind of want to think about the physical. Yes, they're fun. They're exciting. The supernatural, someone's leg straightens out. Someone who can't walk all of a sudden can walk. I, I love all that. I love all that. But I will tell you, when I see someone getting healed emotionally, I know what's getting ready to happen is that person is getting ready to transform their family, their community, their neighbors, their people around them. And when they do that, heaven comes to earth. And that is so supernatural. And yes, the legs will get healed. The blind will see. All of that does happen. But it's the emotional miracles that we seem to think and forget about, well, you know, God, you know, I don't, I don't want to have to ask God for that. He, he wants you. I mean, I think about Jesus and how he spent years walking with, with teenage boys, with the misfits, with, with the elite, with the educated, with the sick. I mean, with all kinds of people solely for the purpose, solely for the purpose of preparing them for their restoration that was coming on his resurrection. Did you get that? Solely to prepare them for their restoration that was coming on his resurrection. Because we live with the Holy Spirit, the resurrecting power of the Holy Spirit. And when we allow the Holy Spirit to move in our life, then all of a sudden the Holy Spirit can come in and resurrect those places long forgotten. And it does not mean the Holy Spirit comes in and rehashes us and wants us to live through the abuse and the nightmares and the memories. He says, hey, let me show you what I'm going to do about this. Let me show you what I'm going to do about this. His whole job when the Holy Spirit moves in power in us is to restore us from the brokenness that trickled out of the garden. To restore us from the hiddenness, the shame, the divisiveness, the unworthiness, the strife, the disconnection, the disappointment, the depression, so that it would no longer rule over us. So that it would no longer abuse us. I mean, those living with those types of Feelings and emotions for years on end, it's abusive. I even said this to my husband the other day. You know, he, he can get anxiety. And I said, your anxiety is not only abusing you, but it's abusing me, and it needs to stop. You know, we can be abused by the stuff that we don't check in with with the Lord. 
and we just let it torment us. You know, we say Christians uh, cannot be possessed, but you can certainly be oppressed. And living with that oppression and that torment, it's miserable. Greater is he that is in you than he who is in this world. Jesus resurrects and restores those places we feel certain there is no life there. So that what has been dead in us will have life breathed upon it and come forth with new life. This is about transformation from the inside. Uh, 2 Corinthians 3 is where I want to go next. I'm going to read it out of the Passion Translation. And it reads 2 Corinthians 3 verse 16 through 18. But the moment one turns to the Lord with an open heart, the veil is lifted and they see. Now the Lord I'm referring to is the Holy Spirit and wherever he is Lord, there is freedom. I want you to circle in your Bible if it says the word turn. I want you to circle that because I want you to understand that that is a continual, constant act that we continually are going to turn to him. It doesn't say, but the moment one turned, like past tense, like it's already happened and you did it once, you don't have to do it again. Turns is a consistent present term, meaning this is something you're going to do for the rest of your life, no matter what comes your way. And the veil he's referring to is the deception, the lies that we live with, the untruths, the earthly mindset that we have. So when it says, the moment one turns to the Lord, the moment you turn to the Lord with an open heart saying, Lord, I I don't know what's going on, but I'm willing, I want you to touch me in this place. The veil, the lies are lifted, the earthly mindset is lifted, the deception is lifted, and all of a sudden the Holy Spirit comes in and there is freedom. And you go on to verse 18, it says, We can all draw close to him with the veil removed from our faces, and with no veil we all become like mirrors who brightly reflect the glory of the Lord Jesus. We are being transfigured, we are being transformed into his very image as we move from one brighter level of glory to another. And this glorious transfiguration comes from the Lord, who is the Spirit. How does this happen? It's, it's us uh, drawing near to him. You know, we talked about last week, our purpose is really to be made into his image. So when we turn to him, this is how we grow and, and we become made in, into his image day after day. You know, I think it's really important that we, we realize that victory doesn't mean that we're never going to know heartache or disappointment or frustration or irritation. Victory means that we're always committed to staying in relationship with the Lord, no matter what. That's what victory as a Christian means. It doesn't mean you're never going to know disappointment, heartache, broken <coughs> dreams, uh, broken relationships. What it means is that you're, that you're always going to be in relationship with him. That is the victory. That's where you see the emotional miracles start to happen when you're like, Lord, I choose you. I, I don't understand what's going on, but I choose you over and over and over again. Even when it's hard, even when you feel like you've been attacked or abused or even when a tragedy strikes, Lord, I choose you. I, I don't understand this. And we don't have to understand it right away. A lot of times we are in shock or we're grieving or the emotion is too much. All we have to do is just turn to him. One more scripture in 1 Corinthians 15, uh, starting in verse 57. But we thank God for giving us the victory as conquerors. Through our Lord Jesus, the anointed one. So now, beloved ones, stand firm and secure. Live your lives with an unshakable confidence. 
We know that we prosper and excel in every season by serving the Lord because we are sure that our union with the Lord makes our labor productive with fruit that endures. It's our relationship with the Lord that keeps us in victory. It's our relationship with the Lord that that makes um, what we're doing here on earth productive and purposeful and meaningful. It's not about... um, you know, the result. It's about the relationship. And so the question, as I kind of wind this down, is, is how do we do this? Because I want you to know that we can turn to the Lord for the little things and for the big things. So I'm going to give you an example of both. Um, the other night, let's see, about a week ago, remember when the whole gas shortage thing started, okay? <laughs> I mean, come on. Yeah, I mean, so I am... Needing to get to New Braunfels because my son has a football game and I have a rule that I never miss a sporting event because the one time I did, he broke his leg in two places and ended up in a wheelchair. And I was like, okay, you know what, that just, I can't do that again. So I need to get to New Braunfels. I'm running low on gas. The whole, you know, gas thing, I get the text from my husband, like, get gas, you know, there's a shortage. And I'm like, hey, wait, you... Who's sending this out? Is it like the government saying this? Or is it like people or Facebook or who's, what's going on? And I'm driving around San Antonio. I mean, there's just no lines. I'm like, all right, Lord, listen, I have to get to New Braunfels. And I am not going to partner with this fear. This is how I'm turning to him, y'all, in the middle of, I I need this gas. But I also need to get to New Braunfels. Lord, I I need you to help me find a gas station. I need you to get me to New Braunfels, but I'm just going to rest in you. Like, I'm turning to you. I'm not going to be anxious, fearful. I'm I'm just not. I get to New Braunfels. Praise the Lord. I'm coming home. It's 10 o'clock at night. I find a gas station. It was very orderly. In fact, they even had, you know, people, their attendants out there kind of directing people to the gas pump. And I thought, praise God. Even the little things, y'all. I mean, you would think, well, why am I going to ask the Lord to help me with gas? No, I ask him for everything simply because I don't want to live with that fear and irritation and anxiety. I mean, if I just let that stuff stir in me, I'd get there to the game. I might be irritated. I might just sit there and not talk to anybody. I don't know. I mean, who knows if I let it just stir up like a little hurricane inside of me. But I was like, no, this is, this is not who I am. My peace is being uh, disrupted. It's not who I am. Here's another uh, more uh, extreme example. <clears throat> so this summer, there was a very unfortunate, tragic situation with my extended family. This is at the end of July. And I am, I'm depressed. And I will tell you, I have not felt depression since I was delivered from it by Jesus in 2009. So I make an appointment to go to the counselor that we'd seen 24 plus years ago, who I still periodically see, who is... Like my second mom, she's a Christian, she's amazing. Um, If you want her name, I'm happy to recommend her. I've just seen her on and off in my life. And I just said, hey, look, I I need to come visit with you. And was telling her, and she knows my family. And I said, yeah, gosh, this is what happened. And and she goes, well, Ashley, she goes, well, how are you feeling? Now now I can answer the feeling. I was like, I'm depressed. And I'm like, look, I I can't be depressed because, like, I'm getting ready to lead a women's ministry. And, like, this isn't going to (laughs) work. Like, this is not going to work. So I am just like, Lord, what, what in the heck? And I do not like to be de- That's like one thing where I'm like, I'm fixing. I'm trying to fix this. I'm trying to fix this. Don't like this. Don't like this at all. Mm-mm-mm-mm. And she said, Ashley, can I ask a question? And I said, sure. She goes, let's just, let's just 
let's just hold this. Let's just kind of hold this depression out here and just ask, you know, what, what, what might be the benefit of it right now? And all of a sudden, I heard the Lord say, it's protection. And I went, oh my gosh. I said, it's protection. And she goes, that's right. And then all of a sudden, the Lord showed me a picture of coming, like if someone coming out of surgery without pain medication, how they'd wake up and just go, ah, it'd be like so painful. And I was like, oh my gosh, this is, this is the Lord protecting me right now. It's like healing salve. And she said, that's exactly right. Because what you're waking up to You couldn't handle waking up to this abuse, which was basically abuse, of 47 years right now. You couldn't wake up to that revelation of it and not be just emotionally hijacked. And I thought, you're exactly right. And it was like the minute I understood that not, just because we have an emotion, it isn't bad. And she said, you know, Ashley, you got to understand the difference between clinical depression and situational. Your dad had clinical. You, this is situational. And the Lord will use it for his good. And she was so right. And the minute I began to just the, let the, I mean, my gosh, I teach inner healing all the time. And there I was depressed. And I was like, you know what, God, you better fix this. Like, I'm done. I, don't, I was not even, you know, going, running all my, my traps. But uh, the minute she just had me pause, I went, oh, wow, he was right there. And the depression just, it literally, within a couple of days, it began to fade away. And even the trauma of the event faded away. It was all of a sudden like he just restored everything and I was able to turn and just bless this person that had, had, had really been so horrible to me. And um, that's how you turn to the Lord, is that you recognize that our emotions are pointing to something and that we're willingly going to turn to him. So what I want to do just for our activation, if you've got your journals and August will kind of pop up here. Um, I want to just ask Jesus a few questions. This, this is really like if you ever have come in for an appointment with inner healing, this is sort of the tip of the iceberg, which gets you to, to sort of pause. Because that's what, I, that's what I really want to impress upon you today is when you start to feel like your emotions are getting hijacked, you start to, to feel off, or maybe you felt off for a while, let's just use that to ask him what's going on. And when the first question that we're going to ask him, I want you to, to understand that... Um, there are three voices that speak to you, okay? So God's voice sounds peaceful, calming, assuring, sometimes softer, mostly softer, I would say, um, loving, and it reflects his word. That is how God sounds. The enemy sounds condemning, guilty, you should have, didn't do it right, And it's usually he talks in past tense because that's the only thing he can throw up in your face. And your own voice can sometimes sound like either one depending on your agreement at the time. So you realize that your agreement is the most sought after commodity in the spirit world. Because the enemy can only oppress you through your agreement. You are a Christian. You cannot be possessed, but you can be oppressed. And you get oppressed because you agree with the lies that he is putting up in front of you. So sometimes we can sound like either one, or sometimes we might just sound confused. Who knows? So I just want to let you know that before we start this process. I'm going to pray, and then we're going to ask Jesus a question. And that first question, he's going to answer you. And you are going to, the first thing that comes to your mind, whether it's a memory, a relationship, an emotion, or a circumstance, I want you to write that down. I don't want you to disregard the first thing that comes up on your screen. Oftentimes, 
when the Lord speaks, it's very quick. Like it's very fast, so just grab it and go with it. Oftentimes we'll be like, well, that can't really be what's bothering me. You don't know. Jesus knows. So we're going to ask him. You want to ask him, Jesus, what's bothering me? Just have him bring up one thing. Jesus, what's bothering me? And like I said, it can be a memory, it can be a relationship, it can be an emotion, a circumstance. And then I want you to ask him, Jesus, what is this thing, whatever came up for you, what is it wanting me to believe? Or what am I believing about this? situation, Jesus? What am I believing about this memory? What am I believing about this relationship? What am I believing about this emotion? And it might be multiple things. It often is multiple things. And and given time to uh, show you what those are. ask Jesus, Jesus, what is your truth about this emotion or circumstance or memory or relationship? What do you want me to know? Because we know that things can be true, but they're not always truth. Jesus brings the truth. So let's ask him what his truth is about the circumstance, relationship, memory, emotion, whatever it is that's going on. You can go back and ask him the other question if you still feel like there's more. But I'm just giving you these couple of questions really to take with you and to start. When you start to feel things, um, whether, you know, whatever emotion that's bubbling up, you can, you can stop it by asking. You can pause and reflect and turn to him. This is how you turn to him. This is how you invite him in because otherwise it's just a statement like, hey, turn to the Lord, go to him. And you're like, okay, well, how do I do that? I'm always such a, I mean, Jesus is very practical. I'm very practical. I'm, I always want to know the how. This is how you start the how. Now, sometimes, most of the time, if there's deeper stuff, you want to make an appointment to get inner healing. So you really do have the time to unpack it. And you've got prayer ministers that are with you to hold the atmosphere for you. 
And it's amazing because you're thinking, wow, I, I, I feel like I've, I heard from Jesus or this is what he said. And when his truth comes in, it's life changing. I mean, our hearts start to shift. Transformation starts to happen. And, and those triggers that have been after us for years start to get dismantled. I mean, that's how we interrupt the cycle of pain is by bringing in his truth. But we have to be willing and allow him and ask him, seek him. So take those questions with you. Before we go, I want to read to you all uh, Psalm 23 out of the Passion Translation, and then I'm going to pray. And then, of course, there's going to be prayer ministers up here if anybody would like prayer. And like I said, you don't always have to say what it is. You can just say, I just want prayer. The Lord is my best friend and my shepherd. I always have more than enough. He offers a resting place for me in his luxurious love. He tracks, his tracks take me to an oasis of peace, the quiet brook of bliss. That's where he restores and revives my life. He opens before me pathways to God's pleasure and leads me along in his footsteps of righteousness so that I can bring honor to his name. Lord, even when your path takes me through the valley of deepest darkness, fear will never conquer me, for you already have. You remain close to me and you lead me through it all the way. Your authority is my strength and my peace. So Lord, I just thank you that you never leave us, forsake us, or abandon us. I thank you that greater are you in each and every one of us than he who is in this world. And I thank you, Father God, that the veil is being lifted. That we will no longer walk out of here feeling like we have to be victim to the deception, disappointment, broken dreams, the sadness. Lord, I thank you that we live victorious because we live in relationship with you, Father God. And I ask that as these women go about their week, that you would continually remind them how to turn to you and that you're right there. I ask that your presence be so tangible to them that they begin to experience for themselves a transformation, especially in those places where they've long forgotten, especially in those places where they thought nothing good could ever come of this. I thank you, God, that you're already moving in that place and that you're already showing them the, the reward of their willingness is this beautiful gift of salvation that they get to walk out with you. I bless you in Jesus' name. Amen. See you all next week. Thank you. Y'all want to come up for prayer? I think Katie and Ann are here if anybody wants prayer, and Deborah will be right back.